0: Welcome to season two of the Unlock Philippines podcast, a podcast that hopes to unlock perspectives and insights into the new normal. I'm Jet, and I'm your host for this season. We hope to help you get through what you need to get through so we can keep it together while we social distance apart. Hi guys, I know that we've been away for a while. We're really excited to present Saiza Cruz Bacani as our first interviewee for our second season. Saiza is known for her documentary and street-style photography, primarily in black and white, um, in the streets of Hong Kong. She has an incredible story, which we feel is perfect to start our second season. Her story is one of hope, promise, and possibility. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Unlocked podcast, Saiza. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. We're really honored to have you as our first guest for our second season.
1: It's an honor itself to be invited by you, I mean, I've been into your podcast.
0: Well, thank you so much. I mean, we're huge fans of your work. Thank you for having. Me. I wanted to start off by asking you a few questions about how you got into photography. I,
1: I've said this a lot of times. I had a very sexy background story. I worked in Hong Kong as a domestic worker. I'm very proud of that. And in 2009, I became I pick up a camera for my mother. So my mother also worked as a domestic worker in Hong Kong for Mrs. Louie. We have the same boss. So one thing that I've noticed was my mom never really went out for a holiday. She, she's a workaholic. Like, I'm already a workaholic, but she's like a hardcore workaholic because, you know, she wants to keep saving money and send it to her family. So she doesn't really go out. She has no interest in taking holidays except when she goes to the church, you know. So I decided to pick up a camera and decided to photograph Hong Kong for her instead, you know, like it became her eye. And somehow they're both seeing Hong Kong through my photographs. So I kept doing that for years until in 2014, I got discovered by Rico Camora, a Filipino photographer based in Oakland. And he sent my photos to New York Times. And that's how it all started. They did a profile on me and then I got a scholarship in New York from Magnum Foundation, and I turned full-time photographer in 2015.
0: It's really incredible how organic it was, you know, just kind of walking around, taking photos. It, It is really
1: organic because one funny thing was, I don't even know what New York Times is. I was a domestic worker. We don't read New York Times. <laughs> I have a subscription. I cannot afford the subscription to New York Times. And I, I, I'm in my own world, you know, being a nanny to six children, working six days a week, going out. So when they, when uh, the amazing David Gonzalez Gonzalez sent me an email asking me to if I want to be interviewed for New York Times, I was like, oh, cool. I didn't know how big it, it is, you know. It was it was really super organic in a way that my ignorance was like, oh New York Times, cool, 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 cool. But then <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know how important it was.
0: But I think that that it's not so much ignorance, but it's purity, I think. I hope so. <laughs> At least for me. I think that's so like, kind. No, but like, I think that it's um there's something so pure about that not being in your awareness. You know, that yeah. what lends a different kind of honesty to the photograph because you weren't doing it to get noticed. You were doing it because that's how you experienced these particular moments that you were able to preserve it. While you were in New York, just briefly wanted to ask you what you did there exactly.
1: With the Magnum Foundation, we went to New York University and so we did a program on social documentary, so documentary photography. So within that 6 weeks, it was it was supposed to be it's like a 1 year program pack into six weeks so we were studying how to to be a more effective photographer and then we're also doing a project while in New York so it was super intense. It was like going inside the classroom at 8 a.m. And by the time we finish, it's already like 11 a.m. And then we still need to photograph and then put together a documentary work in a city that for me was my first time in New York. So it was a little bit like a huge adjustment for my, my part. It was a wonderful experience. I've learned a lot. I think I use all the information or the knowledge they've taught us. And then I, I had amazing teachers. Susan Maisalas and Fred Richard, they were great, super.
0: I've been in containment, not containment. I've been on lockdown, on a self-imposed lockdown since January. I stopped sending my kid to school when I heard about this virus. And then you've lived this like, cosmopolitan global life. How did you react when you first heard about the pandemic, when you were kind of... I've already heard about it
1: December because we're, well... well Hong Kong, right? Um, We're very aware of those kinds of things floating around because of the SARS uh, experience. But when I first heard about it, really took it seriously was when I came back from New York and went directly to Hong Kong and it's part of the dinner conversation. So if people are talking about it while having dinner, it means it's something serious. It's not something like the flu that we don't talk about the flu when you're having dinner, right? Mm. So when people start talking about it and Mrs. Louie and my mom started buying masks some PPEs, that's when I realized this is something serious. Yeah, so I stopped sending my kid to school. I got so scared. That that's very smart. I I, I don't know. I, I got
0: made fun of a lot.
1: No, I, I do think that it's a smart decision because we've done it as well. My nieces one of my nieces goes to school, the other one is still still a baby basically. So I I told my sister, ask the teacher that she needs to start to stay at home because she's asthmatic. Mm. She can't go to school. So I think it was something that that when the lockdown was announced, uh, I'm already expecting that to happen. Because Wuhan by the time is already like, the news coming out from Wuhan was not good. So I was thinking the virus move around because people are still moving around. Mm -hmm. So it was scary, but also because of my of me being in Hong Kong and being a prepper. <laughs> I was trying to be a prepper. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a prepper too.
0: <laughs> oh my god, I had sterilium. I, I mean, it, it, all, it all was all well and ends well. Because I started buying yeah. this stuff in January when nobody was buying it. So I got a lot of it for cheap. I ended up donating a lot of it to hospitals and other places. Uh, so it was fine in the end. I, I just had kept enough for us but what was extra Mm. i gave away so that's good yeah it was good in the end but it all worked out i think
1: i think i'm always proud of being a prepper because i was prepared because during that time no one wants to go out, take photos, or do stories because they don't have N95 masks or PPEs. I have those because before I even fly to the Philippines, I already have them in my bag. Mm. It's something like that I know that's going to happen. So so I was able to work because I have N95s. I have a, a complete set of PPE with me. Yeah,
0: I mean, so, so for Jam's wedding where we saw each other in March, that was the first time I kind of surfaced from the outside from kind of being in containment. Oh yeah! Really, Jackie, too- I was so nervous. I was drunk all the time because <laughs> I just wanted to like dilute my fear. <laughs> oh, was,
1: that, that was that's true. Actually, I was, I was nervous after that. I was so because I was like, time. it was a good wedding. It was a good it was wedding. The best. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I feel like that was the last week no, weekend of normal,
1: the old normal. That's true. And
0: then the whole world started to lock down. Every country, one yes. by one. It's interesting. Do you feel that... What effect did that lockdown have on you? Was there any... Because you're a photographer, right? You need to be out there. And I remember at the very start of the lockdown, you you had sent me a message. I remember you were going to hospitals. You didn't really stay inside. You kept working. I did.
1: Well, the first thing that happened to me, how it affected me was I wasn't able to travel. So a lot of exhibitions was canceled. Uh, some work that needs to be done this year w- was postponed. So it was heartbreaking for my part. And I'm, and you know, losing work here and there until up to a point that I'm worried like, oh my God, what am I going to do this year? But then I'm trained to be, because I, I'm a strong believer that the best stories always happen when in places that you really know. You know, and I'm in my hometown and I was being sent on the front la- front line with no masks. Because during that time, there's a massive shortage of PPE, right? So
0: mm.
1: it just didn't happen here. It happened all the- around the world. And then I did stories on with, with the Ayalas for Project Ugnayan. I'm basically working the whole year, which is it's like the bright side. If I look yeah, at it, yeah. I'm I was I'm super busy this year. I'm even busier than, than last year up yeah. to a point that I made a decision that, okay, December, I will stop working. I'm not yeah. going to do any stories. I need to write. Yeah. So that's how busy I am this pandemic, which is the only bright side for me. Yeah. Because I miss I miss my mom. I haven't seen her for a year. And I miss my you know, friends and the art community. I, I miss this year, Rob, us of, The magic of touch and love, you know, there's a certain healing magic. There's touch can heal, right? And Hmm. sometimes, when we need to show our love for someone, a simple touch of hand or a hug can actually heal and make the heart feel better. But now we can't even do that. We can't do that with friends, we can't do that with our families. Because nowadays, avoiding families and friends is an act of... It mm. kind of changed the way we, we show our love, our love with each other. And I crave for the time that we can actually go back to where we can show our affection to people by a simple touch, you know? In a good way. Yes. I just want my photograph to create impact, you know? Hmm. It's something that I want my photographs to be because I need to hold on to that because it's so easy to get lost with all these different things, the perks of being a photographer that comes with, that comes with traveling around, jet setting, living in cosmopolitan city. It's so easy to get lost with that. I always hold on to the value that I take photographs for the people, hmm. you know, for, for my own community. Yeah,
0: you mentioned about you know when we started to hear about these lockdowns and you were worried about work because you weren't getting as many what is it, assignments is that what they're called assignments yeah. yeah you weren't getting as many assignments as you normally would but and then you were surprised because now there's so much more work and I think. Is that because everything right now is a story? Because it's also new. There's novelty to every single... Right? Because it's just so different. Like, even the most basic thing, ordering takeout, for example, you have to reheat everything it'll take time for people to build back it's like the trust you have with a supplier or retailer you know like for you to be able to sit down in a restaurant and eat there you know you trust that they sanitize everything
1: that takes time to rebuild that yes i i, I do think that even the air lady like, you can't trust you can just like take a deep uh, breath because you can trust the air that doesn't contain any uh, aerosols, or yeah. you know, the virus itself. So, mm-hmm. I do think that it, you're right. It will take time to be able for us to go back to a sense of normalcy. My like my question usually was: Do we really want to go back to normal, or sure, should sure. we aim for better? Mm-hmm. You know, was our normal good, or should we aim for something better? Maybe we maybe we should take care of our bodies better, or our health better, better, or the way we clean our food, or our surroundings, our environment. So it, it's just a question of where do we want to go from here?
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think that your the question that you're asking that you're positing, this is a an evolutionary response almost. Mm. Cause you know, you like evolution happens when you're faced with a threat and how do you adapt, right? That is evolution yes. in and of itself is adaptation. So it's really right. interesting that you um that you talk about this like how do we get make ourselves better? It's not even an ideological, it's not a theoretical question. And it's not uh, oh, I'm trying to be optimistic about the world kind of question. It's more of an, it's like, we have to do this. We really have to adapt. And I think that whether we want to go back to normal or not, I think that we just can't. It's just not possible to go back to those days. Like I just think that for me, even if they assure me that there's no more pandemic, I will probably still likely wear either a face shield or a mask when I'm going to the mall. Mm-hmm. What was it like photographing during a pandemic in that, um, you know, the actual physicality of it? What was it like going to a site or to... What do you call them? Are they called sites? Because in construction, they're called sites. You can call them sites. I can call them sites. Like the area you're photographing, your subject (laughs) matter.
1: Yeah. To to be honest, it's difficult. Again, we go back to adapting, right? Like, it changes the way we do our work or the process of photographing because when the pandemic happened and we all know about what it can do to us and to our loved ones for me it's about protecting myself and protecting the uh, other people as well so I was wearing three layers to four layers of of PPE like my clothes and then another layer I'm Mm, like so I have a mask I have a everything I have a complete set and it's very hot
0: And your work is important because when we hear things in the news that we're supposed to stay home and not go out, unless we see photographs in the news of how bad it is, you really won't believe that it's bad. You know what I mean? Like you just think, oh, you know, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe they're just being extra careful. But the work you did seeing that even some frontliners don't have access to PPEs through nobody. It was nobody's fault. It's just the way, you know, it's just that there really was a shortage. I remember that they'd had like, I think I discussed this with Rahul. didn't have PPEs. This is how he got into donating PPEs. It's because in the early stages of the pandemic, they were having to wear garbage bags Mm. and they were having to wash their N95s. That's how bad it got for them.
1: If there's one thing that came out of good with me going out and risking myself during the, the lockdown was when people have read the story about lacking, hmm. about our nurses in our town or province lacking PPEs. People started sending PPEs to our frontliners. So I do think that photography can really be powerful, as you were saying. No one will know that it's it's happening mm-hmm. outside Manila because we you know sometimes news always comes from Manila. It's
0: and also. I- I remember my. I wanted to start a blog. Mm. <laughs> I think this was in like 2010. A very, you know, even then I was already late in the game. Mm. And um, I remember my my one of my aunts who works in PR. So I asked for advice, and she said, "You know what? The trouble with your wanting to blog is it's just too many words, mm. and people aren't interested in words anymore. They're only interested in photographs. Mm. So you need to, you know." up your photograph, your image game. And I was like, I couldn't understand. I was like, why wouldn't anyone want to read? And then Instagram comes along. And then it's just captions and the picture now. You know? And um, I think that you need the photographs as much as you need the words. Yes. Because you need to contextualize what you're seeing.
1: Yes, context is king. Those two, when they go together and done properly, it can be really powerful.
0: At, at any given point, anyone can take a very powerful photograph. But we, even if it's badly composed, right? But you don't know the context.
1: Yes, that's what I keep saying to my uh, to younger students who want to learn. I always say, context is king. I know. It's hard to write. I know it's hard to caption your images, but we need to do that because at this day and age of everyone losing their their attention span to all Mm these social medias that we have, it's important that we put context to our photographs because photographs have the power to destroy people. It can empower, but it can also destroy.
0: Every time I think that you point a camera at someone you're not necessarily i mean you're asking a question exactly. right it's a conversation between you between you the photographer and your subject matter whether it's uh an inanimate object mm. or a person there's a kind of there's a sort of um there's a back and forth happening there
1: yes and right and you mentioned that the two components of, of conversation but there's another important one it's the audience as a photographer Mm. for me in my Mm. practice it is important for me that I include the audience to the triangle of conversation it just can't be Mm two-sided like that's interesting like me having a conversation with the person that I'm photographing and then the actual photograph creating a conversation with the audience it needs to it needs to be that way that's why context is king and if you don't have mm. the right context then you're not sending the right message so then you don't have a conversation you're just putting it putting up something out there that people don't understand you know practice again i don't want to impose my practice to other people so i keep repeating that this is my practice Because I still believe, like, okay, you do you. You know what I mean? So for me, you know, you talk about bias and preconceived notions. We all have our cognitive biases Mm -hmm. coming from how we grew up, environmental factors, our belief, religious, whatever bias that we have. And I Mm -hmm. think it is important for us to realize and to accept that we have those biases. We cannot be in denial that, oh, I don't have a bias. I don't have bias. That's not just true. We just need to accept it ourselves that we have our own biases. But when we do, for me, when mm-hmm. I do stories, I try to to keep those biases at bay because you can't go to a community with preconceived notion of what they need. Like this is my favorite uh, metaphor for this, or I don't know if it's called metaphor. Like, if, like if I go to a community who doesn't have uh food and i don't ask the people what they need i'm just gonna report oh my god they don't have food i already Uh made a mistake because what if what they want is water you know i mean you don't go Uh there telling people what they need you'd go there and yes. ask them what they need you know what I mean it's it's similar with journalism you go there yes, uh, I and agree, I agree uh, ask, ask them okay what is happening and they tell you you don't go there and tell them what is happening because they yeah, are you can't assume yes, yes yes because they are the ones experiencing it not not me as a photographer or a, jor- a photojournalist that's why listening is, is a, a very good skill to have and I don't think that we do that anymore we hear each other but we don't listen anymore and listening doesn't just we don't just use our ears when we listen you know we need to use our heart and our brain as well those three needs to align when we listen
0: mm-hmm.
1: I agree. so that we can create a conversation you said there are no longer any conversations. yes we we don't okay. do conversations anymore we just yell at each other that's it we don't mm-hmm. listen. We don't do conversations. We don't talk to each other anymore, because if an opinion offends us, we immediately hate that person or we don't like that person anymore because their opinion is different from from ours. But yes. but we fi- uh, we fail to ask why is that person's opinion that way? Where is that person coming yes,
0: from? Yes, absolutely. Prior to recording in our earlier conversation, you talked about. Um, how we like, you know, cancel culture. And I, obviously, this has been discussed s- so at many length times, yeah. so many times dinner conversations, um, online, you know, WhatsApp chat groups, you know, cancel culture and how, how awful it is. But I mean, I am completely part of that. If I get annoyed with a supplier, mm. sushi bake supplier, and you annoy me, like I was telling you, you, delivered my food to someone else, I will never order from you again.
1: <laughs> that, that makes you human.
0: <laughs> it's awful right but like you know the zeitgeist moves you know it's never like a you know like it's a it's a constantly evolving thing what people are into and how people people's behaviors are and right now this is where our behavior is and i think that the cancel culture is part of growing pain um, it's growing pains and, and like it gives us a sense of control because for me i feel like there are so many things i cannot control
1: Right now,
0: yes. Right now. like I just feel like I, I, I went from having a life where I was more or less in control of where I, which direction I wanted to take it mm-hmm. to right now where I really don't know how I'm going to navigate out of this situation.
1: Which is not my strength. I'm going to be very honest about that. I'm not. Tell us a little bit about the no home birth policy. I love having conversation with midwives in our province. And then it just pops out. Like They were like, oh, you, do you know that it's not legal anymore to do home birth in the Philippines? And I was shocked because I'm a home birth baby. All mm. my siblings are home birth babies. We we're delivered at home. And then I, I, when something sparks my curiosity, I was like when did it happen and why that's when i started researching about it i sent a pitch to npr through everyday projects and the organization and you know sometimes when you send send an idea you don't really expect for anything but luckily they love it and they like the story idea so we started i started photographing it i started gathering information and started writing about it a a you know, an, A-level writer but I try because I like being in in control of the stories that I put out there you know when you write something and then you photograph something and you put together all the narratives and the necessary parts of it I feel like I'm giving birth to a baby myself I mean that's such a bad comparison because I don't have a child I don't know but for me (sighs) I need to do that with my with huh. the projects with the stories that I do I need to be in control of things because a person who wasn't there will never understand what happened again context uh-huh. right but yes, I, yes. I, I, I but I do understand because I was there I was the one who saw it who talked to these people I know the feeling I know the mood and sometimes I need to write those yeah so it it was a very interesting story to be honest I was like ah, uh, the Philippines is really the land of strange foods. <laughs> I'm not or against because my job is to report about it, but I made sure that I got all the sides of the story.
0: Mm.
1: I spoke to, the, to a representative of the Department of Health. I spoke to women who's going through it. I spoke to a doctor who's against it. I spoke to to Gabriela who's against the policy and yes, then a doctor yeah. who's ag- against the home birth itself. So I yeah. need to get all these sides to put together mm. the story because... Because, I
0: mean, I, the way the way I view it, I would never want to give birth at home. There's a... That it's prepared and... I mean, then the, the policy is... Well meaning, yeah. yeah.
1: Well meaning, well well intentioned. We don't want mothers and exactly and, yeah. and babies to die. And unfortunately, you know, it happens a lot of times according to the doctor and the Department with of Home of birth, Health, yeah. it happens with home birth. So it's a well intentioned policy. Yeah. But then as usual, with policies that are not I don't know how to say that, but it's not well thought of or yeah. or it's not well uh practiced. It's difficult. As every yeah. as everything is in this country we there are there are, any, are we... there any
0: exceptions to this law, like for example, if you live in a mountain that's three hours away from the nearest hospital and your income is below like two dollars a day below five dollars a day,
1: are there any exceptions to this policy? There are exceptions, but okay, I do think that the only exceptions that's being read about are you know rich um actresses who give birth a home who have access. To, to medical professionals who can assist them. Mm. The problem with, with poor people giving birth at home is they don't have the access to these medical experts. So right. something can really, bad can really happen. That's why the Department of Health doesn't encourage it. But when you, when you have the money to pay for, for a doctor to assist you, a Pedia to assist you, an ambulance on standby, you can actually do it at home. Mm. so so again this is what i was talking about the policy it was not well thought of it was not well well um practiced because you know there are different layers in this country that we need to consider you need public consultation you need we need to go through these steps to make sure that the policy actually benefits all the mothers and
0: this law was passed in 2009 Yes. So who was president then? GMA, no? Sorry, I shouldn't. I should know this.
1: I, I think. Yeah, you should know this. I should know <laughs> it this. Was G, it was GMA. Then it was improved by the Aquino administration. I think. Oh God!
0: Yeah. What did the Aquino administration do to it?
1: <laughs> what did no, they uh, make did it they...
0: worse? I mean, what did
1: they? <laughs> no, it was actually. Uh, they they made it a little bit better. Okay. I think. I think it's not enough you know we need to tweak a little bit of the law yeah. the policy right. like yeah. as you were saying what if a mother is like three hours lives in a mountain three hours the i remember you
0: told me this on instagram if you don't give birth at, in the hospital if you give birth at home and you don't have a reasonable excuse as to why that that, mm. that happened they won't grant you a birth certificate this is the result
1: yeah sometimes it, it will be difficult for you to register the child you can also find you so it, you can be penalized. Right. Oh, no. And 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 you know what? We have tons of midwives, no?
0: But what I'll tell you funny, well, I don't know if it's funny, a story. Basically, so my grandmother, um, mother of 12 children, my uncles, I think, one time were arguing about their birth dates. It turns out, like, one of my uncles, his birthday was wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's been celebrating it on the wrong day. Because my grandmother filed his birth certificate the same time as my other uncle. So... I think she got the dates wrong when she filed, you know. So yeah, so to this day, I think that uncle of mine doesn't really know how old he is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's really funny because
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my my came from a very my well my big father family. came from a very big and impoverished background. So I think that they probably were only able to file things like birth certificates when they mm. had to, like, when kids were going to school, you know, they probably asked yes. for a birth certificates. So that's the only time my grandmother would probably even think to file these things. I think somewhere there, there's a, a mix-up.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, there's a mix-up. I think the only reason I, I know my pops' birthday is correct, for sure, because he was born Jose Rizal's birthday, and they named him oh, yeah. after that. So that they couldn't get wrong. It really is yes. June 19th. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's very smart because his name is jose
0: Rizalino, you know like so Nice. yeah so that that he's lucky that he was born on that day because he knows for a fact that that's his <laughs> birthday but my other aunts and uncles i mean i wonder Sorry. it's it's interesting though that um it's it's I don't, I don't think that one podcast episode is enough to discuss such a complicated issue and so on Your article was really interesting. And if anyone out there is interested, SICE's article is available on the NPR website. Am I correct to say that? Yes, correct, correct. Yeah, and it's a really good read and the images are so powerful. The text is powerful. I disagree with you. I think that you write beautifully and um, you write fairly. It was so interesting, that that article, because um, it's a a toss-up. Because the doctors do have a point. Maternal mortality rate in the Philippines is really high. And a lot of people do do home births,
1: so maybe the- we have we have midwives. We have tons of midwives. Are they allowed? Not, those midwives to the policy doesn't allow them to assist. So what's the point of being a midwife if you oh, can no. assist the birth? Yeah. So that's the policy is not well thought of, because yeah. even though it's well intentioned, but because we are not actually using our amazing midwives, who wants to do it? Yeah, they are I mean, amazing. The they become yeah, the reason they they become midwives is that's their calling. I mean, yeah. The first, I, I'm sorry, I'm not a mother, right? Yeah. So when when I was documenting yeah. the the hospital birth, I almost fainted. I love this topic of birth because it's mm. something
0: that just is just is so um, interesting to talk about during a time where death seems to be the topic that everyone's talking about. So it's all, I, I think this is. I think I've discussed pregnancy and birth a lot on my podcast because I just want to talk about life, you know? (music) To conclude, Siza, I've had so much fun talking to you. I hope you've had a a good time chatting this afternoon. I mean, to conclude, I wanted to ask you um, sort of, because you're, you've are you been out and seeing all these things that have been happening during the pandemic. And um, you were also kind of out and about pre-pandemic. So you kind of have a good understanding of what humanity looks like. Like, I feel like because you document people's realities, it gives you this kind of, you're in a unique position, like almost like a modern day historian is what you are. And you're, you know, you're... The spheres that you work around, the circles you go into, they're so different, you know, from, you know, a provincial town where somebody gives birth to Esco Moreno. Couldn't be farther from each other to, you know, the Magnum no. Foundation <laughs> in New York. Another, like, couldn't these couldn't be further from each other, but they form your reality. If you wouldn't mind, could you paint us a picture of what you think your reality will look like once the pandemic is over? And if you can tell us What do you think the worst case scenario is going to look like?
1: What do you think the
0: best case scenario is going to look like?
1: And what do you think the middle ground might be? Let's start with the bad news because I don't want to end exactly with (laughs) a bad mood. So I think the worst case scenario for me is we will not learn from this year and keep doing what we were doing before the pandemic happened. We will not which means we, we will keep harming the environment. We will keep harming other people. We will keep on working nonstop and being on a rat race. We will keep on ignoring the little moments that actually build great moments that we will remember when we were old. That's the worst case scenario for me, that we're going to go back to how we, were, how we were before the pandemic. That's the worst case case scenario the moderate scenario is we will learn to live with a world that anytime there will be another pandemic that can happen we will be more cautious that's the moderate scenario for me we'll be more cautious of how we act how we do things how we treat other people so it's like a very moderate scenario we will learn but not really act on it You know what I mean, and the the best case scenario for me is a world where we fully understand that we are not in control of our lives, and anytime something can actually happen that might end everything that we're so used to. So we learn from the lessons of twenty twenty of the pandemic. So we start to love each other more we start to be more kind to other mm-hmm. people we start to be more genuine and be and we start to listen to each other have conversation and we will stop har- harming the environment so that's the best case scenario for me which is we learn we do something about what we've learned and we strive for a better world and not want to go back to our old n- normal I don't know, it's too long and heavy. But, but you know, that's the best case. It's I think you said scenario. it so well and you said it so beautifully.
0: Thank you so much, Siza. Honestly, this was a really great conversation. Um, you're one of the first few episodes. Sorry, you're one of the first episodes of our second season. You're one of the episodes opening yeah. the second season. And I think it's, I loved our conversation. I I feel like I learned so much talking to you. Um, And I hope that we can have you back on in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today and I hope you had a great time chatting with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Unlock Philippines podcast. We're definitely learning as we go along as this is a homegrown and homespun effort using whatever tools are available to us at the moment. We hope you found this uplifting and useful. And if you'd like to reach out to us, we are at unlockph.podcast at gmail.com. See you next week.